Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome back. Happy New Year. Kalakristuyana, if you are uh, in the Orthodox Church and celebrating Christmas today after Twelfth Night has passed. Um, we are Tennis Unfiltered in 2024. A brand new, new look. No, it's not brand new. It's not new look. It's still us. It's me, James Gray of inews.co.uk, George Belshaw and our resident tennis coach, Calvin Beton. This is a cross-hemisphere podcast today, as the next four or five will be. Uh, Calvin is in Adelaide. I'm still in London, but... Uh, literally sat next to my suitcase, which is ready to get on the plane with me this evening. George, where are you in the glamorous world and where are you going? Uh, I'm back in London and I'm staying in London. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be our constant during this period of turmoil. You'll be our rock, George, our northern star, to quote Shakespeare. Um, Calvin, I, I, I know that we're trying to get through this podcast as quickly as possible so you can actually get some sleep. Talk us through your your latest travel journey over the last 24 hours? Um, I left Thailand some stage yesterday. I, I don't even know what day we're on at the minute. I left <laughs> Thailand somewhere, I guess, around 36 hours ago, maybe. Okay. Uh, and then flew from Thai, from Bangkok to Bali. I had eight hours stopover in Bali. The funny thing with the, the stopover, because I know I had eight hours, but in Bali, you have to self-transfer. You can't, they don't do any transfers ah. for you. Uh, and in, in order to do that, you need a visa. Um, oh, no. You have, to, you have to go out of um, departure side, arrival side, back into departures. So you have to get a visa anyway. Now, when you apply for the visa, it says that uh, on the website, it says that the, the, the wait for a visa could be lengthy and is not guaranteed. Um, <laughs> oh, so, God. but you have to get one there. You have to get one at the place. You can't get one in advance. Um, and um, so, I thought, well, I've got eight hours to kill. So that'll probably I'd kind of put aside three hours of that um, to get a visa. Um, knowing that when the plane landed, I basically forced myself out of the plane first and sprinted <laughs> to the visa desk, and it took all of about seven seconds to get the visa um they basically say how do you want to pay and that's it um so then my whole 
I thought I'd have like six hours spare in Bali, but in in, 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 in the end, I had eight hours. Um, uh, is it an airport it you'd recommend? So. Did you leave the it's, airport? No, I, I thought about it. If I'd have been earlier in the day, then I would have done, because it's obviously a very nice place. But I didn't get there until, I think it got there at six o'clock at night. Mm. And I left at one in the morning, I think. So right. um, it's a very nice airport. It's probably the best airport I've ever been to, to be fair. Mm, there you go. I'm always looking for good airports to transit through. This time I'm transiting through Shanghai, which is supposed to be a decent airport, but it's it's not exactly on the way to Australia. So it means I'm doing two 11-hour flights. What was so yeah. good about it, Callan? It was just very clean. I mean, the places where I always look for in airports, because I go to quite a lot, uh, clean um, benches that you can lie down on that don't have armrests all through the bench. Um, mm. Looks safe enough, and most importantly, good food outlets. Yeah, um, God. Good, affordable food outlets. Um, and and it had all of those. Although, strangely, like, I've noticed in airports now, I don't know where any of our listeners have seen this, or either of you guys, but like, who's buying stuff at airports? Because the stuff <laughs> is so expensive. Yeah. Like now, this airport in Bali, just it had literally a Gucci, a Ralph Lauren, um a um louis vuitton um it had a um wolfgang puck restaurant and i'm like who's spending who's buying this stuff at airports i guess it's if like if you're going like if you're if you're doing it tax-free like if you're good but i mean yeah that's the only thing i can think and and you know they're like oh i haven't done enough tax-free shopping or what you know i've got a bit left in my allowance like you know let's let's just make sure i fill up the fill up the tank I don't know. Yeah, it is yeah, strange but, I've always but again that. I mean I guess Bali's quite a big influencer spot isn't it they're probably oh, picking yeah. up some well, man bags and stuff like that so. yeah quite uh, I can always recommend I always recommend this to people uh, Singapore airport is one of the best mm. to transit through and if you go to terminal 4 and they're all connected by little air um, little shuttle so it's easy enough to get around uh, there is a place you can pay about 20 Singapore take 20 US dollars and there's a bar and a swimming pool and a jacuzzi, and it's outdoors. And you can go. You don't have to like go through immigration or anything. You can just go and sit there, have a beer in the pool. Um, and I last time I was there, I had three hours in Singapore, and I was like, I don't care. I might miss my flight. I don't care. I'm getting in the pool. Um, and it make. Oh wow. Mm. I'd give a shout out for the butterfly garden as well. That's the butterfly? Nice. Is there a butterfly garden? Yeah, yeah. Not, I, my stop over there was only there an hour, so I didn't have time to do the whole thing. But um, yeah, there's a little kind of butterfly garden that you can just walk through and have All nice right. butterflies fly around you. It's very nice. I shall remember that next time. Um, if anyone's got any recommendations for Shanghai Airport and they're able to get them out in the next uh, in the next couple of minutes, that'd be great. Uh, we've briefly lost Calvin, but we will get him back, <laughs> I am sure. Um, right, well, we would usually start with some listener questions, but we've got breaking news this morning, uh, which we have to start with, which is that Rafael Nadal is out of the Australian Open. Um, having been playing in Brisbane and looking pretty good, uh, he has withdrawn just a day before qualifying. I mean, it means it doesn't mess the draw up too much. Um, he says, hi, all. during my last match in Brisbane, I had a small problem on a muscle that, as you know, made me worried. Uh, he had a medical timeout during the uh, match against uh, Jordan Thompson. He says, once I got to Melbourne, I've had the chance to have an MRI. I've got a micro tear on a muscle, not in the same part where I had the injury, his hip injury, of course, from which he's coming back. And that's good news. Right now, I'm not ready to compete at the maximum level of exigence in five-set matches. Uh, lovely translation there. Um, I'm flying back to Spain to see my doctor and get some treatment and rest. I worked very hard during the year for this comeback. And as I always mentioned, my goal is to be at my best level in three months. 
within the sad news for me, not being able to play in front of the amazing Melbourne crowds. This is not this is not very bad news, and we all remain positive with the evolution of the season. I really wanted to play here in Australia, and I've had the chance to play a few matches. That made me very happy and positive. Thanks for all the support, and see you soon, Rafa. Um, George, your, your kind of instant reaction, I suspect, is one slightly of smugness because uh, <laughs> you did, in fact, say that this would happen. Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of one of those classic things, isn't it? We're watching Rafa this week and we're thinking, oh, yeah, he looks quite sharp, looks like he's played quite well. People are suddenly starting to say, oh, he's going to have a deep run at Australia. I was like, hmm, it's probably more realistic. Some small thing will go wrong um, and he'll have to have to withdraw that's not really just a, a kind of rapper comment it's more anyone who comes back from a long injury is probably more susceptible to small things going wrong in their body and you know he he understandably wants to be quite cautious this year i think um with all due respect to australia this is probably up there with the events he feels least likely capable of winning this year um do you think given- yeah, definitely. With Novak's record there, he's only won it twice, um, and you know the two times he's not had to face Novak really. So mm. um, you know Novak's so dominant there, and Alcaraz is so good on hard courts. Um, you know he'd much, fa- in my opinion, much more fancy chances. Obviously at the French Open, but also the U.S. Open. I think those conditions have suited him more throughout mm. his career. So I- I'm not saying I think he could have played, but I don't think he would have wanted to take the risk given the bigger events for him and what potentially could be the final season of his year. Um, it's obviously a shame. You know, we're all quite, there's quite a lot of comebacks, aren't there, this year that I'm sure we'll kind of talk through um, going on in the podcast. Um, but, you know, given of those comebacks, Nadal's feels the one that we're really not going to see this guy probably be on this year. Um, it's, it's not a, a great start, but hopefully, as he says, it's nothing too bad and we'll see him in a few weeks mm. Calvin I, I, as George said I don't know how much of that you caught but um, not the biggest surprise in the world that, that Rafa's picked up a niggle and is out of the Australian Open but it, it is a shame isn't it you know he adds he adds a certain something to the tournament mm. oh, we've lost Calvin again that is a shame well it's funny yeah foregone conclusion I was out for drinks on Friday with a, a listener hi Danny um, and uh, he was saying uh, to me that you know, the tennis last year at the Australian Open actually wasn't, it didn't light things up. And George, I think that's right. Like, if you actually think about it, Murray carried us through the first week with that storyline. Kyrgios gave us the pre-tournament intrigue. And then second week, it was like no one got near Novak. You know, we, people were talking about the hamstring, like like for days, because it was all there was to talk about. There wasn't really a huge amount of tennis-based intrigue and I think Rafa would at least have given us that even if it was only through to the fourth round um it it just we just need that don't we but but do you think maybe that Alcaraz will fill that gap yeah look I I think Novak's gonna win the Australian Open but I don't think that's a controversial opinion but Alcaraz has shown he can go toe-to-toe with this guy in big matches um it'll be interesting to see where Yannick Sinner picks off at the end of the last season. It felt like he was getting a bit of joy against Novak in <clears throat> in best of three, at least. I think best of five is obviously a different kettle of fish. Medvedev's had some success out there before. Um, so there's definitely guys who can make it difficult. And I think if we get those four in the semifinals, we'll probably have had a pretty good tournament on the men's side. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
this is the slam where Novak just knows how to get the job done so well. It's probably the slam he's most supported at in many ways. There's a decent kind of Serb contingency out in mm. Australia. Um, I think he feels most comfortable there, which is not surprising that it's on a hard court. Um, yeah, I'd, yeah, I can't really look past him at the minute. There's the usual noises about a problem, isn't there, with the kind of wrist thing, which, you know, the wrist is probably something that has come up time and time again for the longest period in some ways with Novak. It seems like he's often fiddling with a wrist. Um, never seems to be terminal, but he is, what, turning 37 this year? So I guess every year it becomes more likely something does go more seriously wrong. Um, mm. But yeah, right now, hard, hard to look past him still, I think. You mentioned uh, Novak's wrist there, George. Um, Calvin, Nick Kyrgios' take, change of balls every week, finally got to Novak's wrist. The ATP really need to do something about this problem. Players suffer all the time. Um, yeah, which might hold some weight if he hadn't been playing with the same balls for the last four weeks after two weeks off and would be will be using those balls for the next four weeks, three weeks from now. Like just an absolute nonsense. Like if there's one, if there's one time of the year where you can't argue too many ball changes, it's it's roundabout right now. Yeah. Um, we mentioned the balls. I saw you post something about the balls um, in humidity, presumably in Thailand. What do you make of this year's Australian Open balls? There was a lot of chat about them last year in Melbourne that they weren't up to scratch. They don't seem to respond to humidity well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole point of them is they're supposed to be a in inverted commas, a humidity-defying ball. Now, you know, if you think about, for to make it basic, if you think about what humidity does to hair, for people who have long hair, it makes it frizzy. Um, Calvin I mean, Betton, expert on hair yeah, and humidity. I wouldn't know anything made. about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what it tends to do in humidity. But And, and so a, a, the felt on a ball will react the same. Now, what happens then is you get extra drag through the air because of that. The ball increases in size, and there's more. The, the, the aerodynamics go down on it, um, which is what you'd expect from a tennis ball. Mm. But they've made this big thing about how they've designed this ball to cope with humidity better, and I don't see as it is at all. I mean, it's not like I'm not going to say it's worse than a normal ball. It's just not any different. Mm. Um, and the ball that when we were, in, I mean, I'll say this in Thailand last week. It was extremely hot and extremely humid. I would say even more than it's going to be in Australia. Um, yeah. And the courts were also very slow and very rough, which combined with a, a, a rough court will rough up the ball and make it even more frizzy and fluffy. Um, yeah. So that was probably the most, ex that was probably even more extreme than you'd get in Australia. But I've been in Australia today, to be honest. We played, we've practiced today twice. Well, we wait with interest. I know Emma Raducanu mentioned, and a couple of other people in Auckland mentioned, that you know, Auckland is not a particularly hot and humid place, that the balls are fluffing up. And there is Calvin gone again. We will never know exactly what happened to Skander Manzuri's uh, serve. Um, we, well, we gutted. I mean, Calvin will perhaps send us some voice notes um, of bits and pieces that I can maybe pop on the end, but he is on um, hotel Wi-Fi in Adelaide and it's just, just not holding up, unfortunately. Um, I, when I get out to Melbourne, Calvin will be joining me and we will do some stuff live and the uh, the foibles of Wi-Fi will not be um, will not be something that, that bother us too much. Right, well, we'll move on uh, and we'll uh, hear more from Calvin next week, um, hopefully. 
Right, uh, let's move on to some listener questions. Uh, a few of them are sort of quite Calvin adjacent, so um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use them. But there are one or two that I wanted to um, to raise. Well, one really from Nikos, who is a regular listener and a regular question asker, um, and who has some excellent advice for Calvin after his struggles to get a can of Coke uh, in rural France last year. Um, I will share that advice with him. Uh, George, the Alimentation, the Alimentation Générale, or the Epicerie, uh, usually run by Maghreb immigrants, as they're known as Arab markets, are the places to go if you're struggling to get a proper can of Coke. And they're also open pretty late. So there you go. Good to know. Um, but Nikos has a couple of other questions. Uh, for starters, George, he says, I'm a big George fan and think he contributes the most in terms of player analysis, deserve more credit and less oh. slagging off. Couldn't that's agree less, Nikos. Um, but anyway, there <laughs> we go. That's, re- that's made my 2024 already. I think that would be there tough. There you go. It's big for you, George. Well done. Um, read your general coverage on the pod. I agree with others that it feels unfavorable to Djokovic at times, but it's mostly just Calvin doing mental gymnastics to avoid crediting him as the GOAT. Um, to defend Calvin in his absence, he has regularly said that he thinks no, Djokovic is the GOAT. People always seem to forget this. But uh, anyway... Uh, Nico says, I'm a Sabalenka fan, though, and I think your coverage of her has been quite harsh at times, especially during Roland Garros this year. I also think she had a much more impressive year than Svantec, even if the latter finished with a minuscule points edge, but only got past slam quarterfinals once, while Sabalenka did it at all of them. Um, George, particularly prudent to be uh, having this conversation, given that I woke up to Elena Rybakina 6-3, 6-love over Arena Sabalenka, which <laughs> is maybe a little unfair, given that she did, in fact, make the final um, in Brisbane, beating Linju, Kasatkina, Azarenka on the way without ever breaking a sweat. So um, I suppose the question here is, how do you judge someone's year? How do you judge a player? Is it at the Grand Slams or is it their overall season? Well, I mean, I think it personally depends player to player. So for me, Sabalenka has probably been one of the most consistent players on on either tour really at tour level for the last six years maybe mm. um so her which is ironic doing... given her game style right it's actually quite inconsistent yeah and I, th- I think with her the the big question this is why i kind of championed her as one of the most improved players last year even though calvin didn't really um see kind of weighted this as much but the, the big change for her was really translating that form on the tour into into the grand slams and for me she she did do that last year i think she made the semis of all four slams uh, reached the final of two won one <clears throat> that's really really consistent form and it, it's not really form i'm expecting to to go too far away i think you know she is comfortably the second best player in the world right now and you know, as Nico says, there were times last year where she was the best player in the world. Um, and she's done well to kind of narrow the gap with Sviantec. I still think Sviantec has a more well-rounded game and probably is still more mentally resolute in big moments. You know, for as well as Sabalenka did, you know, the, the French Open semi-final against Mukova was a huge disappointment. You know, any match you're 5-2 up to get into a a big match and then you, you know, collapse really. There's no other kind of word around it as well as Makova did to kind of stick in there. Sabalenka did, couldn't get over the line in that match. And similarly in the U S open finally, it, it's hard not to say that the crowd and the atmosphere and 
you know, the fact it was Coco Goff opposite, who was such an overawing favourite, didn't really play into that match. So I still think there's steps forward Sabalenka can take, and a large part of those are mental steps. But I, I think she'll keep putting herself in positions this season. It wouldn't surprise me for her to win one or two Grand Slams. Um, and I think she goes into this tournament probably the favourite for me in some ways. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think this is Fiontech's best tournament by any stretch of the imagination. Go toe-to-toe with Sabalenka, that, that for me is always a 50-50 match, just who's hitting it slightly cleaner on the day they both play so similarly. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think those three of the players you'd be looking at. Goff has obviously shown a little bit of form in the warm-up as well, but I think if Sabalenka and Rybakina are, are hitting as well as they can, they're, they're going to be the two who are the, the hardest to stop here. Hmm. If you are a big Savalenka fan, Nikos, which I know you are, and I know lots of other people will be, the first episode of Netflix's Breakpoint Season 2 will be very much to your liking. Um, I've just got early access to them. I'm only one episode in, but uh, Arena Savalenka's Australian Open uh, win is very much at the forefront of that uh, first episode. Um, some quite good insights into her working with Jason Stacey, who is her, I think his technical term is performance coach, Um but he has been doing a lot of work with her on mindset and performance. And I'll tell you what was very interesting, George, um, was just hearing him chastise a kind of other member of the team, a peripheral member, for saying he was nervous about uh, the upcoming match. And he was mm-hmm. like, don't let her hear you say that. Like, even if you're, like, you know, nearby, if, they, if she hears that, then it goes in. And I, I don't think he's being Savalenka-specific. I think he's saying you need to exude this energy of relaxation to your player. Um, and there's a similar kind of thing with Sakari and her coach, Tom Hill, where she has a go at him for, like, they're preparing for, I can't remember who it is, one of the Chinese players. And Tom Hill says, oh, you know, she's got a really good forehand, so I'm going to get your hitter to, like, shoot some to you. And she's like, why would you say that to me? Like, why would you say he's got, she's got a good forehand? Like, you're freaking me out, like, before a match. Which I think it's quite interesting, George. Surely you need to know that kind of info. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this sort of thing... Obviously, these guys, I'm sure, are far more qualified than I am. But for me, I, I think there's something important about acknowledging the nerves and kind of knowing they're there and actually thinking about how you handle them and want to change them. To me, like running away and pretending they're not there doesn't feel like a, a strong... I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of rooted logic in this, but you know, I, I think we've seen... Not, not to keep banging on about Novak in this podcast, but... Yeah, we've seen matches where Novak's definitely feeling the nerves and you know rolling in second serves at kind of no sort of pace, and he he's quite honest about you know he feels nerves. I think I've heard Roger say he felt really nervous coming into you know, even first round matches. And kind well, of we not, know Roger gets tight. I mean, that's that's hardest. But even in even in like matches that aren't that significant, you know, I think all these top guys acknowledge there is a feeling of nerves, and I think it's it's more about how you settle with those nerves and how you try not to let it affect you in the big moments. And you know, Novak's probably been the best player at that throughout his career in terms of even the, the moments that are the tightest, which is often the tie breaks and why we have drummed on about that Wimbledon tie break against Alcaraz being so surprising that he sort of did, did play like someone who was feeling the nerves and we know he just turns into human backboard mode normally. Um, it's how you just make sure you are not the one who's going to feel the nerves more than the bloke at the other end of the net. Because I think the acknowledgement of the nerves to me is also the acknowledgement that the guy at the other end is going to be feeling like that. Or, you know, 
your opponent and it's about how you deal with those and if you're not acknowledging the threat of that in the first place it feels like oh yeah this is just another willy-nilly point and if you just go and smack it and miss completely then really you're not feeling the match in the moment um so i i I don't know if it, it feels kind of instinctively right to me to deal like that and you know without being harsh we're talking about two players who've won one grand slam between them there and i think sabalenka certainly should win more grand slams and Sakari, you know, has had chances to win grand slams. That French Open where she was kind of I think the highest seed left in the quarters or semi-finals. Semi, she had match points. Yeah, went to pot. Um, so, I mean, she retired for four days after that. <laughs> like she, <laughs> she rang a coach and said, "I'm quitting. Like I'm done." Um, and then actually realised that she wasn't quite done. Well, thanks for your question, Nikos. Uh, there, I know there are others on that same email, and we'll get to them over the weeks, I hope, um, when the right people are present and when the right moment arises. Uh, just uh, another thing he just mentions in passing. I remember a chat a while ago about the best tournaments to visit, and I'll absolutely echo others that Kitzbühel is phenomenal. Beautiful town and court, great crowd, atmosphere, tons of nice activities that, that time of year, like hiking, mountain biking, taking the gondola if you're lazy, a beautiful lake live music i've been to the town several times so i can give you some good recs of stuff to do places to go there as well thanks nikos so um, could be a good nomination for tennis unfiltered abroad Kitsbury. yeah it could well be could well be um well although it's in the middle of the summer Kitsbury, isn't it or is that the one yeah, that's later so. in the i'm not sure um anyway uh let's move on let's get into the the running order itself uh i reckon george we talked about rafa um Let's talk about Emma Raducanu, who's another player on the injury comeback this year. She's been in action in Auckland, picking up a win uh, in her first match, but then beaten by Alina Svitolina. Uh, a match, I said, uh, bore just more positives than negatives uh, on Twitter, and apparently that was an unreasonable uh, take. <laughs> it was too negative. Despite saying that it was actually a more positive match than negative, uh, it was too negative. Um, Mentioning the word negative is negative, James. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I I give up. I give up with that. So I mean, I I saw uh, yesterday. I sort of came to the realization, and I know that this is not new news. That Twitter is not a place for serious people. When I saw like some conspiracy theorist had come up with some reason that a United pilot had been fired and rehired so that they could hit their diversity numbers, and then something, even though they weren't allowed to fly, and Joe Barton had like quote retweeted it being like this is unbelievable if it's true it's like if for starters i hate it when people like oh if they like broadcast something and go if this is true it's big um and then i looked in the replies and elon musk was also like oh this is this is bad if it's true and i was like right this is this is no longer a forum for serious debate or information I can't believe we've just allowed Joey Barton to be mentioned on our podcast. <laughs> he is an impossible twat. <laughs> the fact he's getting any coverage at the minute is feeding into exactly what he wants. So, yes, yeah, exactly. That's the only coverage he deserves is being called an impossible twat. I'll say it yeah. again. An impossible twat. That's, an impossible that's, twat. That's quite a, that's quite a quite good phrase, George. I quite that's like that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Um, anyway, <laughs> quite aside from that, Emma Raducanu lost in three sets to Alina Svitolina. She was a couple of points away from victory in the second set tiebreak. Um, held her own with one of the form players, certainly one of the form defenders in world tennis, George Butt, uh, was heavily strapped to one of her thighs. And certainly went away in the third set physically and, and was holding her back. I mean, is that just sort of what you'd expect from someone who's been out for a long time? Or is that maybe a sign that the physical condition still isn't there? Um, I think it can be a, a bit of both to a degree. I think, you know, as I said earlier with Rafa, when you've come back from a lengthy layoff, it's often other parts of the body that struggle as much as that injured area. You know, you've probably really focused your rehab on making sure that wrist is kind of perfect or you know as perfect as it can be or you're getting you comfortable in believing there's not an issue there but you know that I'm not saying that comes at the neglect of other areas but it's quite a natural thing that that's the kind of center of your focus and then when you're actually kind of getting back into match situations and your body's doing that extra whatever five percent that it's hard to drive it to do in in practice um it's quite likely that things don't work as they should or you kind of feel things a little bit more when you're rusty um, a long way off match practice I mean for what it's worth I think Raducanu achieved basically what I thought she could achieve this week Um, you know it was a good first round draw that was a match she is and was capable of winning Um, you know there were obviously some nerves in the back end of that match and it wasn't wasn't necessarily pretty, but really important for her just to get that winning feeling back, um, which she's not really had for, what, 10, 11 months longer? I can't mm. remember the last time she won a match. <laughs> and then she played someone who, let's be honest, was really strong last year and beating a lot of top opponents and someone who's also come back for different reasons and been very motivated and you know beaten the world number one. Uh, at Grand Slam, come through big feisty matches against former world and born and Grand Slam champion at the same tournament, picking up big back-to-back wins, um, and someone who's been top four in the world before. So it's no surprise to me she lost that match, um, and she competed pretty well for two sets. So, and I think I think I'm right in saying Svitolina went on to have a couple of results straight afterwards that were pretty. Um, heavy-handed on other opponents that probably... Well, yeah, she, really she got to the final. She absolutely battered Marie, battered Marie Buzkova and beat Wang Jin, uh, 
is that Wang Zhiyu, sorry, not Wang Zhiyu, um, you know, who are both very capable players and, and you know, well inside top 100. Uh, so, yeah, as you say, George, it's not a great shame to lose to Alina Svitolina, I think. Um, I think my point was that, you know, but by most people's account, Emma Raducanu's tennis level has never really been in question. You know, we think, mm. know, believe to varying degrees that she's a, a top 30 player probably or top 40 certainly in terms of her you know her kind of 80% level and that's where we think she probably should be ranked about 35 in the world at the moment anyway she's still still developing and so to hold her own with Alina Svitolina it's like well yeah we know that like and, and so the question has not been for the last two years is Emma Raducanu good enough I don't think I don't think we ever really say that the question has been, is Emma Raducanu fit enough? And so, yes, it's only her second match back. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say she's blown the opportunity to make a huge step forward physically. But when I say there are negatives, you know, that concern me, it is that, you know, all of a sudden there's, there's the, the it was a big strapping on the thigh. And okay, it didn't seem to hinder her, but that, you know, it's another thing. Um, but what she said afterwards was, you can't replicate three hours of intensity in training. And, and I imagine it's very hard. It's something I really admire Rafa Nadal for um, and Novak Djokovic. Both of them, when they come back, like they're at such a high level of intensity straight away. And I'm convinced it's because they have found a way to replicate that intensity mm-hmm. um, in training. And, and maybe that's a mindset thing as much as anything else. So it'll come. Um, she's going to play a charity match on Tuesday night in Melbourne. And that'll be... 7.30 a.m. kickoff UK time on Tuesday morning um, against Naomi Osaka, which has created a lot of excitement online, as you might expect. Uh, and she's also going to go to Kuyong and I think play Mira Andreva in the Kuyong Classic, which is an exhibition tournament uh, at a venue that used to hold hold the Australian Open a long, long time ago. Um, I've never been up to Kuyong, so I'm going to head up there on uh, oh, yeah. oh, nice. Wednesday. Yeah, it's a bit of a laugh. Be fun. Um, yeah, I think so. So that you know, that's an opportunity for her to get some competitive uh, practice in essentially, you know, they are exhibitions, but there will also be some, some high level hitting. I also think, I think the Osaka match could be on labor, although they haven't actually confirmed that, but I think just the opportunity to get on a big court again. And, you know, I think she's always said, Oh, I don't really see it. You know, I don't feel it anymore because she's played on big courts in big front of big crowds. But when you haven't done it for, you know, nine months, I imagine you do sort of forget what it's like. And, you know, she's not played on Labour loads. I mean, yeah. I think she's played on Labour twice, maybe. Um, it's not including... so familiar that it will be second nature to it. Yeah, exactly. By virtue of she's only played, what, five Grand Slams, maybe? So. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and she wasn't fully fit last time she played on Labour mm-hmm. because she, her ankles in bits and her wrists were hurting. Um, so, yeah, a weight with interest, really. I mean, what do you think would be a good result for Emma Raducanu at the Australian Open, George? I mean, for her, it's going to depend on the draw, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, if she draws Igor's Fiontek first round, then a competitive loss is a good result. If yeah. she draws a, you know, the world number 32, who I can't pick out of my brain. Vavara Gracheva might be around there. Yeah. If I've got that, I've got to have checked, George, if I've got that. That'd be world-class picking. Oh, I'm close. Close. She's 39. Uh, Lesia Serenko is world number 32. So like if, she, if she's drawing a kind of lower seed or gets a kind of non-seeded player that then goes on to a lower seed in the second round, I think a good result is second or third round. Mm. 
Um, I mean, fourth uh, round's like top three percent of results, right? Yeah, definitely. I'd yeah. Uh, I'd be given what we're talking about in terms of her physical potential issues already. That's that would be a really good result. I mean, yeah. Look, second week of any slam for someone who's not an established top eight player is a good result, regardless of who you are for me. Um, so that would be good. My 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 current feeling is I'll be surprised if she goes past the, the second round, to be honest. Because um, mm. that involves playing a seeded player and probably most of the seeds at the moment. I mean, th- there are exceptions, but yeah, I, I would probably agree with you. I think it would be big for her to win the first round. Like, I think it would be big for her... I don't think she lacks confidence. I don't think she needs confidence. Um, I think she's a very confident player and has huge faith in her own ability. But I think it would just be a good thing overall. Also for us. I was say, <laughs> for you lot. It'll be a, a disappointing trip if you lose Radicado and Murray first round, won't it? Yeah. Yeah, oh God, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, well, let's move on. Uh, the other comeback, I've kind of alluded to it there, uh, Naomi Osaka, uh, who has been out for 15 months, I think I'm right in saying, uh, having had her first child. Congratulations, of course. Uh, she beat Tamara Korpach in the first round, 11-9 in a second set tiebreak. Uh, and then lost to Karolina Pliskova in three pretty competitive sets. I don't know what we were expecting, George. It's very hard to know what to expect from Naomi Osaka at the best of times, but she was speaking quite openly, which I think is always a, a reflection of her mindset. Um, you know, I think you can. It's the funny thing with Naomi Osaka, because she's so introverted, I actually think that it's easier to tell kind of how she's feeling. Mm. Like I often think with extroverted people, they're always up. They're always, you know, talking a lot and talking about X, Y, and Z. Whereas, you know, with Naomi Osaka, you know that if she's not saying anything, then, you know, she's not feeling great. But I, I think she, she looks like she's genuinely happy to be back on tour. Yeah, and I think there were some nice quotes I was reading where she um, she spoke about how she's not walking around tournament sites with her headphones on now and is actually willing to engage with other players and all this I don't know if she exactly said this, but it, it felt a bit to me like there was a, and I don't, I don't think it's in the same way as how Sharapova used to say it, like kind of us and them sort of thing. It's just more of like from her perspective of being that introverted figure that she felt quite hard, quite difficult to reach out to other people in the locker room and view them as people rather than competitors. Um, mm. Yeah, as I said, not not from the vantage point of Sharapova being like, I hate you all because you're my competitor, <laughs> but like, you know, just f- maybe finding it difficult to find trust and warmth in people that you know are going for the same thing as you, which I think is, you know, maybe quite a natural reaction in some ways. Um, so, yeah, she does definitely feel more at ease. I think she wouldn't be the only player, you know, we've spoken about Svitolina before. I think there's a degree to which going away and doing something more real life in inverted commas probably does ground you a little bit and probably does kind of open up the perspectives that these things, of course they matter. Of course they're really important. Of course they've like driven you your entire life, but there is more to life than actually seeing that more to life can um, maybe focus you to put the right sort of energy towards it and not, you know, really get to, too focused and centered and you know uptight and feeling horrible so yeah i think it'll be really interesting because let let's not beat around the bush with this you know if naomi osaka was fit and firing and similarly for ash barty for the last couple of years 
we we would have had probably one of the golden eras of women's tennis with Iga Swiatek kicking around. You know, hmm. Osaka was that good, and she would be the favourite for this tournament if she was coming in as the Naomi Osaka we knew um, before. She'd be the favourite for every hard court slam at the minute, and I think Sabalenka would be just behind her. Um, you know, th- this is a seriously good player with serious weapons. Um, I don't think she's going to win this tournament. But I think she, by the time the US Open comes around, if she is in this sort of mindset, getting the matches she needs, focusing enough on her tennis while still, <clears throat> you know, not letting those mental challenges she's had in the past kind of consume her, I think this is a player who can easily get back to that level. And it's not, it's not for me as much a question of whether Raducanu can get back to the level of getting close to winning Grand Slams. You know, I'm. I'm certain Osaka's got that within her if the other conditions are right. So, yeah, I think this will come soon, but <clears throat> she can reach the fourth round of this tournament, make no odds about it. You know, she's good enough. If she gets the right draw, um, she, she's going to be a threat there. And she's a sort of player that if you let find form and you do see her in the second week, you're suddenly thinking, can she? And, yeah, so I, I think it's quite exciting. And, you know, she's a big personality. She's someone everyone... Uh, I mean, everyone is in outside of tennis knows as well. I think you know if you ask people in the UK who they know as tennis players, Naomi Osaka is going to be one of the top six they can name. I would have thought, um, both men and women. Um, it's a great question, George, and one I can literally look up thanks to <laughs> YouGov's great polling on this stuff. Um, I mean, I would guess she's maybe just outside the top ten uh, in terms of what of fame, active? huh? But of active players, I'm saying. It, they, so they regard it as contemporary. That's that's okay, the, so she's fifteenth right, right, in contemporary. But I mean, the list is like Murray, Serena, Roger, Rafa, Venus, Novak, Sharapova, Raducanu, Jamie Murray, Heather Watson, Caroline Wozniacki, Joe Conta, Laura Robson, Leighton Hewitt, Naomi Osaka. So I, I think I, I think you're not far off. Names that are yeah. not playing there. So of active, yeah. I think I'm pretty close. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, yeah, I think it's huge. Uh, the the million dollar question, George. Although I suppose it's not, but uh, and I think I know your answer. Who goes further, Raducanu or Osaka? And in Melbourne, I mean, again, you know, not to cop out. It it does hugely depend on. The oh, story. you've copped if out. I, if either of them gets Fiontech first round, they're going to lose that match. Um, but yeah, I think Osaka can win. I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see Osaka in the third or fourth round of this. Yeah. And I wouldn't, to be honest, I wouldn't be that surprised to see her in the quarterfinals or semis. I would be surprised if she won it. <laughs> um, but, she, you know. I think quarters, yeah, because a quarter can open up. But I think if she goes and makes the semis, I'd be pretty, pretty surprised, I think. Um, right, let's move on uh, to. Well, I'm kind of. I'm interested in Andy Murray, I'm interested in Harriet Dart. And I'm interested in the uh, Grigor Dimitrov storyline. So, George, I'm going to let you pick which one of those players you want to talk about first. Well, I, I think seeing as Dimitrov just won this morning, I think that's a good one to go to. You know, and that his about. news has been massively overshadowed by yeah, Rafa pulling out the Australian Open about five yeah. minutes later. Yeah, but that was his first title since 2017, which I, I couldn't really believe in some ways. Like, Is that really? since ATP World Tour Finals? Or was that 2016 he won that? It is. It's since tour finals in 2017. Yeah. That was his last title. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Murray won it the year before, didn't he? For World Number One. Yeah, for World Number One. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I think the reason I think this is worth talking about as much as anything, obviously, you know, Dimitrov, a nice enough guy, he's plays some really nice tennis to watch. But actually, if you look at the level he was at in the back end of last year, that he's brought into the new year winning a title. Mm. I mean, this is a guy who's been, for me, playing top five, six level, really, on the men's side in terms of quality of performances over the last couple of months. I, yeah. I think yeah, Dimitrov's not a guy you want to see in your jaw right now. He's, he's hitting freely. He's playing really well. He's obviously been to semis in Australia in the past. Seeing people like Rafa go out for me is huge for a player like Dimitrov because if you put Rafa across the net against Dimitrov, you think there's so much mental scarring there. But if you put a Yannick Sinner opposite Dimitrov on the net, you know, Sinner's the favourite for that match, mm. but it's not as mental a thing for Dimitrov to win that match. I think Dimitrov's a bit of a dangerous floater for people like Alcaraz and Sinner in the sense of, you know, he, he'll he have much more belief he can get that result than if he turns up against Djokovic, I think. Um, so I think his his placement in the draw is going to be quite interesting. Um, again, I don't think he's going to win the Australian Open, but it's nice to see him playing freely. It's nice to see him bringing this tennis we know is in there. Um, it's just a question of whether in the later stages of a big tournament, whether he can hold his head together. And I suspect the answer is probably still no, um, particularly if it's Novak on the other end of the net. But don't be surprised if he does some damage in the fourth round to a player we think should be going to the semis. Would be my I think- big mystic prediction. <laughs> don't be surprised if does some damage. <laughs> I mean, this has all the hallmarks for classic George Belshaw prediction because it's not really clear what it is or specifically why. Um, I, I tell you what, George, the the stat I posted from Tennis Insights in uh, in our WhatsApp group last week, which is the top ten forehands and top ten backhands on the ATP Tour. Um, Grigor Dimitrov's forehand is fifth on the tour in terms of quality. Um, and, and, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Tennis Insights uh, work with the ATP to provide these stats. Shot quality is calculated based on spin, speed, depth, width, but also on the ball coming in. So it's kind of a more exhaustive um, rating. And it has uh, Calvin's seal of approval, doesn't it? He likes it. Yes, yeah, exactly, which is all, <laughs> it's hard <laughs> enough to gain. So I think we should <laughs> give it some credit. Um, but yeah, Novak. Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Sinner, and then Dimitrov. And I think I haven't got the serving stats in front of me, but he's always, certainly in the latter part of his career, he's always very high up in the serving stats. You know, that's become like a real weapon for him. To, to prove we're not an anti-Novak pod, I, I believe Novak's top of forehand and backhand. Oh, yes, he's the best to, player. Uh, he's <laughs> the best player. Um, also, uh, people might be interested to note uh, maybe the two most surprising names on the whole thing. Number seven on the backhands, Richard Gasquet. Uh, it's a lovely shot, though. It's it? a lovely looking shot, but I would I would always have been like, oh, it just looks. I mean, nice. his, his forearm's crap. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what's that's what he does. He runs around all the really short balls so he can hit the backhand. Um, but the AI of Tennis Insights would not be fooled by that because it takes into account the incoming ball. Um, but number ten, Jack Draper which I'm taking some credit for because, mm. well, partly because Jack Draper himself said it to me, but also because um, I genuinely think his backhand is a real weapon and it's a really good shot. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Um, right, Grigor Dimitrov's going to win the Australian Open. Glad we've, we've cleared that up. Um, just just get your money on him now, I reckon. 
Uh, Harriet Dart reaching the Canberra final. Um, I thought you were is... about to say Harriet Dart's going to win the Australian <laughs> That's the maddest prediction I've ever Get your money on podcast. that. <laughs> um, yeah, congrats to Harriet Dart for, for making the final of uh, the Canberra Challenger. She's obviously the um, the British number three at the moment. Uh, she's going to play Australian Open Qualies. I just wanted to mention it because it's nice when people do well to say, well done. Um Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Let's move on to Andy Murray, George. He was talking to Russell Fuller, the BBC's tennis correspondent, out in Brisbane this week and kind of talking through what's been a pretty tough pre-season again. And I think mm. for the first time publicly, really acknowledging that this might well be his last season. Yeah. I mean, it is a classic Murray acknowledgement, isn't it? Where it's like, oh, it depends how it's going, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not enjoying my tennis. For I'll listeners, George is currently up. rubbing his eye with the back of his hand in what is George Belfort's signature Andy Murray impression. Um, but yeah, you know, he's he, he's a bit like me, isn't he, Murray, really, in terms of committing to something. He'll sort of say, <laughs> yeah, could could be this, but might be that. And um, yeah, It's, it's always funny when you ring up, like, you know, people we know around the Murray camp, usually just to say like, where's he playing next week? And they're all like, we have no idea. <laughs> like he, he, he has a wild card here and he's entered here and we are just waiting for him to pull the trigger. And he, he is notoriously indecisive, right? Yeah. And I, I think if, if there's another six months to come, like the previous six months, I, I think it's done at Wimbledon, to be honest. Um, Do you think? Not even play well, the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, sorry, Olympics. I, I but I just can't see him after. retiring. I mean, <sighs> retiring in Paris. I don't know. I think maybe the, the thing is, I don't think he wants to make a huge song and dance about it. I think everyone else wants to make a big song and dance about it. You know, we all remember the Australian Open when he didn't retire. Um, <laughs> but, but, he definitely did retire. Well, yeah, I mean, he did, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's that was four years ago. Um, but... I think he actually, he will find it so hard to retire that, can you imagine if they did like, you know, when at the French Open last year, Joe Wilfred Songer, um, and they did a big on-court thing, like all of the golden generation turned up. He was there for about half an hour. There was a band. 
Um, I mean, Murray would just be crying for the whole thing. Like mm. it would be, it would be unbearable. It would be, it'd be horrible. <laughs> it would be almost unpleasant. He'd get dehydrated. Um, and I don't know if he wants to go through that in front of everybody ever again. <laughs> you know, after the what's the famous line? I'm gonna try. <laughs> um, when Sue Barker gave him the microphone, and I just. So in that sense, I'm kind of contradicting myself and saying, well, maybe he will retire um, at the at the uh, at the Olympics, and just you know, I know he wants to play them; he's desperate to play them, and you know that that's the sort of general idea. But whether he then goes on and plays the US as well, goes in New York, maybe you know where it all started to an extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I did say if he has the same six months as he had the last six months. I mean, yeah. It's perfectly feasible that Andy Murray can reach the third round in Australia with the right sort of draw. I mean, he had chances to, you know, we've spoken about the tournament that disappointed us most last season. Probably a single player was Murray at Wimbledon. You know, mm. should have beaten Sissipas. He could have beaten Sissipas. And then that draw flew wide open to the point where you're playing, you know, Chris Eubanks in the last 16 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, you know that that was a great opportunity for for Murray to really have that slam run that's been missing from from this hip hip comeback really. Um, in some ways, kind of Australia's probably the one he feels most comfortable at outside of Wimbledon. I know he's won the U.S. Open early on, but actually this is the tournament. I think he's reached the final five times. Um, yeah, plays good stuff there. Likes the atmosphere always has some kind of really epic matches. You know, you guys have discussed the Kokonakis match that you both, you know, got really into last year. Um, he had a big one with Berrettini as well, didn't he? Um, you know, he, he, he loves it out there and plays some good stuff generally. So yeah, I, th- I, I think it's not beyond him to have a, a decent run again. Cue a first round draw of Djokovic or something now. Something like <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. He's, he's hard to read, isn't he? Uh, it feels it feels he's somewhat odds when I hear him talk about what he wants from his career now. Like there's part of him that seems to be accepting of being forty in the world, but then you watch a guy on the court how he's reacting to things. You don't really know if he's just kind of saying that publicly, but not truly accepting it within. Yeah. I think he thinks his tennis is top twenty, top even top ten. I think occasionally. Mm. Um, it's just there's more to it than just hitting the ball, isn't there? You know, and we've spoken about this. Is he going to pull the trigger on that backhand down the line when it really matters? Is he going to take that short ball on, or is he going to just keep it in there? You know, is he going to meet Alex de Menor and blow a hundred <laughs> breakpoint leads or something? You know, it, it, there's just so much more going on than just his tennis. Um, so yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting year for him. I hope he has a good Australia because you know we we all want him to keep going, really, don't we? I think there'd be something quite magical about a Murray run at Wimbledon where he reaches the quarterfinals. I think we've all given up on him winning a Grand Slam now. I've, I've certainly had yeah. enough on that long time ago, but I haven't given up on him having that run to the second week of a Slam, and it could could be this one. It could. I mean, the thing one. is, look, home players light up slams like that i know partly we're a british podcast and that's why we get excited about murray and you know we've all had our own dealings with him in our own ways um and that's the other reason but 
it's also that Wimbledon is a big part of the tennis calendar. You know, it's one of the four biggest tournaments of the year. And the matches where a home player gets the crowd behind him are special. I mean, that the Oscar Otter um, five-setter under the roof remains one of the most insane noises I've ever heard from a crowd of any sport, um, you know, kind of amplified because of the roof, amplified because Murray was picking people out in the front row to to give the fist pump to and to get fired up with. And, and also the fact that it was a guy no one had really heard of, but who played lights out. Like he just, he obviously got a massive serve, which helps, but no, it, another guy know. looks like me. Yeah. He, well, does he, oh, you haven't got an earring. The if you if you get so, your ear pierced, George, then, the then I give you the said Oscar. It for both, so it must be true. Internet's <laughs> never wrong, James. Um, yeah, so those moments are important. And look, we, there are other players. Jack Draper is coming fast, and Cam Norrie made a semi-final. Like you know, those players do exist, but Murray has such kind of baggage with the great British public. Um, you know, everyone knows who he is. Everyone, and I think people have been through a real journey with Andy Murray as well. Like not just his career journey, but he wasn't always very popular, you know, that the anyone but England thing that was basically just a gag, but really set him back. Like people took it really personally. And I still know English people who are like, no, I don't like Andy Murray. He hates English people. <laughs> um, and it's like, mate, he lives in Surrey. Like he's married to an English woman. Like that all of his kids are English. <laughs> anyway, it's neither here nor there. Um, but he, he is obviously kind of won a lot of people round because of the, the vulnerability that the resurfacing documentary with Amazon, I think had a big impact on that. And so I think there's a huge amount of goodwill. Um, he's not perfect. And I think his behavior on court, especially over the last like couple of months, been pretty poor, you know, Paris in particular was pretty, pretty ordinary stuff. Um, not in terms of the tennis, although the tennis wasn't great either, but just in terms of how he carried himself. And I think he will look back and look at that and think maybe he could have done things differently. So, yeah, I don't. I don't want him to not enjoy it. But it, it's it's this constant thing, right? If he enjoys it, he's not going to retire. He yeah. has to go through the horror and act like a child on a tennis court in order to make him stop. But really, he just needs to stop, and it because then all be, the pain goes away. It, it could be five and a half months of absolutely absolute dross, and then he might reach the final in Rosmarlin, and suddenly be like, <laughs> right, he won't. I'm off uh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Is it Rose Marlon he plays? No, it's Stuttgart it's, he plays. Oh, has he not played S. Toggenbosch as well? That's, he may have played that once, but he made the final. He's played Stuttgart the last two years. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, he might go there, get himself back to Rose Marlon. That's all going wrong. <laughs> That'd be good. I'd quite like to go to Rose Marlon. That would give me an excuse to go. Um, anyway, let's just do a quick roundup of some other things that have been going on over the last uh, week. Uh, the United Cup, which. I haven't really realised how long the United Cup is now. It's been going on for like 12 days or something. Um, but it's produced some good tennis. Poland have been looking outstanding. The final is ongoing as we speak. Um, Alexander Zverev and Hubert Hurkacz have just split two tie breaks, which surprises nobody, uh, given their particular styles of play. But that's only about the second set Poland have dropped in the entire tournament. And Germany, meanwhile, have had to battle to the final. They had an absolute tiebreaker, a tiebreaker, heartbreaker, but it was a tiebreaker um, against Australia. It went to three o'clock in the morning in Sydney. Kerber beat Tom Janovic in three sets, nine, seven in the third set breaker. 
Dumino beat Zverev in three sets from a set down. And then the doubles went to two tie breaks and then a deciding tie break that was 15-13 to Zygmunt and Zverev against Storm Hunter and Matthew Ebden. Um, uh, to kind of come back to the point I've just made, George, home home success always makes these tournaments you know, come to life. And, and if the home team doesn't do well, it sometimes can be the death of a tournament. I think we had to give a huge amount of credit to Alex Dumanur, who yeah. has just basically lit up again, lit up a tournament against the odds. The only person to beat him in singles is Cam Norrie, would you believe it? <laughs> um, he's beaten Taylor Fritz, Novak Djokovic and Alexander Zverev. I mean, it's a stellar run. It's a great start to the year, yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right, you know, having that home favourite at these tournaments really does bring it to life, even if it's not the home favourite of the people reporting on it. You know, we <laughs> we do want people like, obviously it's not there this year, but Kyrgios, Kokonakis, two matches by bringing in what is, you know, pretty raucous, heavily supportive drinking culture <laughs> fan base, really. Um, and, you know, it's, it does add something to it. And, you know, Dimonor's probably that player we all think won't go past the quarterfinals, really. And I think if he gets to the quarterfinals, that would be a great result to him. But he's having big results against big players in the last six months, particularly, I would say. Um, mm. You know, There has been, to me, a little bit of a change in terms of his mindset against those biggest players. Um, whenever Djokovic particularly big, obviously, you know, Novak's fiddling with his wrist or whatever. don't know how engaged he is at points compared to others. Um, you know, can he could he do the same over five sets at the Australian Open? Probably not. Um but still I do, I do think he's a player certainly Medvedev won't want to see. That's not a style that's really matched up with him well in the past. I think he can cause sinner problems. I'd say to a degree, even Alcaraz wouldn't be that pleased to see him. I mean Novak's probably the one who still again just by being Novak would I'd put all my money on Novak winning against Timonor in a best of five sets Grand Slam match. But the others who've had bits of scarring who aren't as experienced in that format, I think Dimonor's another player like Dimitrov, just really don't want to be seeing in your section of the draw. Um, and it's probably pro- possible. I can't remember where they're all seeded. Is it possible to have Dimitrov and Dimonor in the same part of the draw? Dimonor is 12 and Dimitrov is 14, so it's yeah. unlikely. unlikely. But yeah. anyway... In fact, yes, no, they're in the exact same uh, category. So, yeah, they can't be in the same section. But That's a relief, I would say. <laughs> yes, to, to all of us. Yes, <laughs> that, that, that is what, that when players are sitting down having dinner on like Wednesday night before the draw, they'll be like, you know, so glad Dimonor and Dimitrov are ranked within three places to each other. <laughs> it just means you can't play them in like consecutive rounds, which would be the absolute nightmare. That's exactly what they're all saying to each other. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's good for Alex Dimonor to be, to be doing doing the thing, I think. Even if pro- perhaps we think that victory over Novak Djokovic might be a bit of a, a false friend, so to speak. Um, w- we've got on our list to do predictions, George, for the year. Probably better Tricky without Calvin here. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, but, so what we'll do, George, is I will track down Calvin in Melbourne. I will okay. find him on a practice court and we'll, we'll do some predictions courtside. I'll, I'll, I'll do a call with you in the middle of next week. Okay. Um, and we'll put it all together because that's the best way. Um, uh, sort of housekeeping, uh, Fantasy Tennis is back. FTU, Fantasy yes. Tennis Unfiltered, is back as of next week. As always, 
You cannot enter until the draw is done. Um, you then have, and I'm going to be a bit generous this year because the Australian Open starts on Sunday, which could limit the amount of time for people to enter. So I'm going to say that you've got until the end or till the beginning of play on Monday. So, you know, in theory, if your player loses first round on Sunday, you can go in and change a team. Like, I'll allow that. Like, just, just because... We've got to give some flexibility to people. Yeah. Um, now, what that should mean is that you could be a bit tactical with that and say, right, well, I've, got, I've got a free hit on a couple of these Sunday Sunday qualifiers. So maybe just, you know, you can sort of get two for one there. But um, if you've got that much time in your hands, then great. Um, anyway, uh, I will get things sorted after the draw on Thursday for people to sign up. Uh, there'll be a link uh, on our Twitter, at Unfilter Tennis. It'll be on the Substack, which I'm going to send next week. Um, do sign up for our Tennis Unfiltered Substack newsletter, by the way. They are random musings from either me or George and occasionally Calvin, and they are sent at random intervals. <laughs> I cannot say monthly, I cannot say weekly, um, but they, they sometimes drop into your inbox. Where else will I put? I'll put a link in, hopefully, in the description to this podcast as well. Um, and if not, then then the next one. And we'll try and do some draw analysis, George, as well, um, if yes. we can make things work on Thursday. Might have to get you out of bed early, heaven mm. forbid. Yeah, you don't look delighted about that. You can definitely um, do something. Yes. Um, do, and I, I believe we're planning on making a a a race of our own for the year. The yes. Oh, yes. The other two bits of fancy housekeeping. First of all, um, there will be an order of merit for uh, this year. Yeah, a race to... Nowhere. That's what we should call it, the race to nowhere, uh, because there is no um, FTU World Tour Finals. Um, but yes, yeah, so if you, <laughs> if you use the same team name for each of the Grand Slams, then <clears throat> excuse me, I'll be able to combine all your points and we can see who the true... Or at least put your Twitter handle in, I guess. You could potentially the same team name, Twitter. George. Same team name, okay. I've made it very clear, <laughs> and I know the piece of code that I'm using, and it requires you to use the same team name. Okay. Um, and oh, we'll that, combine... That tougher. I change mine every tournament. So well, you're going to have to come up with a good one, then. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll combine the points from all four slams, and uh, we really will know. Thanks to uh, Stan Tuchel, uh, he's a French journalist for that idea um, on Twitter. And yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen. And finally, if you win FTU Australian Open, there's a prize. Ooh. Ooh. Well done, everyone. Um, which is a, an exclusive piece of Tennis Unfiltered merch. Yes, you heard me right. Tennis Unfiltered merch. Um, TBC exactly what it looks like or what it is, but I assure you it's merch. Um, and we will get it out in the post to you if you do, in fact, win uh, hashtag FTU. Um, if the winner is uncontactable uh, within seven days at the end of the tournament, you'll get a prize for coming second. So uh, and and so forth and so on. Uh, so it could well be that I'm just mailing something to George in 170th place, but um, <laughs> we'll see how that goes down. So yeah, please do take part. Um, please do make sure you're listening to all our podcasts. We will, as always, try and do a daily podcast. Sometimes during the slam, that is. Sometimes that's just going to be me burbling uh sometimes it'll be me calling george at some well to be honest george oh no god sorry my phone's making a noise um to be honest george most of the time it's like 5 p.m your time because i'm working at 5 a.m um or even the the most famous one which is when i came back from murray kokanakis and did a podcast with you and calvin 
uh, what I think was eight to eight p.m. UK or six p.m. UK time. It was definitely after work. Yeah. Yeah, and it was seven a.m. in Melbourne. It was horrific. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've got any other any other business, George. If people have sat through the admin, you might be able to give them an Easter egg of of tennis news. Tennis news. Can't 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 really think of anything. Actually. Oh come on, George. Be creative. Some Belshaw news. What's the reaction to your interview been like? Have you had people telling you they're surprised at how little you know about? Oh God, Park? yeah. Well, so my mum actually listened to it, and oh. she she wanted me to make a, a public apology for um, <laughs> for for misleading the uh, the tennis unfiltered public. Oh, amazing! Um, what did you lie about? Well, I didn't lie per se, but she wasn't very pleased that I'd insinuated that. I only got into sport via my brother when she says she has a, I can't remember it all, a long rap sheet of her uh, achievements at school, kind of netball and things like this. And she's very sporty. And actually she, she wanted more credit for uh, getting me involved in sport. So I had to issue that correction. She also pointed out that in the um, description of the podcast, it says my dad was a doctor um, when he's a, he's a solicitor. A doctor of law, maybe George. That's that's it. (laughs) So, so that was the uh, main reaction, my mum telling me off. Um, um, what's your mum's name, George? Uh, Marion. Marion, I can only... as we call her. Maz. Yeah. Right. Well, Maz, <laughs> uh, I can only apologise on behalf of your incompetent son. Um, <laughs> I have, in fact, uh, just in the last few seconds, be, been made aware via the internet of your amazing achievements. Um, they've never seen a netball player like you, I hear. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for, for giving us George Belshaw in all of his glory. Uh, if you haven't gone back and listened, George is our mystery guest. I got, that, that was how little I, I give to your name, George. I build you <laughs> I as a mystery saying, guest. I noticed that. Like, they're bigging up Calvin. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yeah, got to get on that. Like, mystery guest now. But yeah, if you go Christmas back and day. listen to our Christmas Day episode, you'll hear an interview with George um, and get to know his life a bit better. And our New Year's Day episode, which is um, me and Calvin talking about the life of Calvin Betson. I really enjoyed listening. Good, good. I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fascinating. I'm sorry he's not here for me to say how what an interesting guy he is. But mm. um, well, maybe... I'm sure he'll be listening back. He <laughs> I'm sure. Yes, he definitely hasn't got anything better to do. Like you know, try and win a 250 this week or anything. Like that. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, listen. Thanks so much for um, joining us. As always, make sure you leave us a rating, a review, and all those important things. Vote for us in the Sports Podcast Awards. There'll be a link yes. in the description. Uh, that's still open for another couple of weeks, but uh, vote yeah, when does early. Close for that. Uh, January twenty eighth, I believe. Okay, so we've got some time. Vote early and vote often, George. That's that's, yes. uh, that's my moniker. Vote with multiple email addresses. Create <laughs> new email addresses. I don't know if we're allowed to Hire tell a people Russian to do that. bot farm. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need. The Russians will be on our team. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus